Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the next episode of the Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled, How'd You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. So today we are so lucky to be joined by Dr. Karen Ferguson, who is Chief Executive Officer at CORA, which stands for Community Overcoming Relationship Abuse. Hi, Dr. Karen Ferguson. Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. So I guess we can start off with an introduction and an answer to the main question of the podcast, which is, how do you do it and why should I care? (laughs) So I I think that what I'm talking about is how do I become a CEO at a nonprofit organization in terms of how do you do it and why do you care? Yes. Um, And uh, I I will say that uh, one of the things that's most important, if you look at my career and how I got to where I am now is kind of uh, using the Steve Jobs quote, that you can't connect the dots by looking forward. You can only connect the dots by looking backwards. Mm. And I think that that's really true. So I will say that actually, um, for me, the answers really had to do with learning three things or embracing three things. One, volunteering. And throughout my career, I have volunteered. So from early on, I volunteered within various different community groups. When I was in college, I was always trying out different things and volunteering as I got into uh, uh, graduate school, still volunteered on the side. And even once I was into my career, I was volunteering. And that has been really critical in being able to test out and assess what areas I really wanted to devote myself to. The second uh, really has to do with um, taking the road less traveled. And I just, especially as I talk to young people nowadays, um, I think that there's a lot of anxiety. And one of the things that I will tell you about how I got to where I got to is um, I kind of didn't have enough of that (laughs) early on, which meant that uh, when all sorts of different opportunities presented themselves from going off to Uganda and teaching a fellow psychologist how to do data collection when I barely was a psychologist myself, or going to the South Pacific and being the consultant for the territory when I really had no idea what that job actually meant, or going off to Alaska when I didn't even have a job, uh, moving off to Israel between various different positions. So I've always sort of taken that road a little less traveled or the one that uh, is a little less mainstream, And honestly, it's always been the best choice. Mm. And then finally, capacity building. I learned very early on in my career that what I loved was to uh, support others in learning and developing their own talents. And that has been key to who I am now. That's excellent to hear. And um, one of the things you mentioned was obviously taking the road less traveled. So I'm curious. It's obviously very daunting to take the road less traveled. So what inspired you to sort of do what you do? Well, so the inspiration really comes from being on one of those roads less traveled. Mm. So when I was living in the South Pacific, having taken a crazy job that I really had no right uh, taking, but it sounded fun and I put my resume in and no one else was selected. So because nobody else tried. Mm. So, um, So there I was in the South Pacific and I met a group of Sri Lankan refugees. And they had been languishing in the South Pacific after having been trafficked through various different islands, forced to work, um, and then left 
uh, and American Samoa has no immigration policy, so they were stuck there. And I, that just didn't make sense. And so as just a person living in the South Pacific, I started creating a network of um, folks who could try to help. I started learning about refugees and refugee status and immigrants and immigrant processing. And over a year's time, uh, we were able to get the Sri Lankan group of nine individuals resettled to New Zealand. And two things in that were so important to me besides just sort of the overall process. One was walking on a beach one time with one of the young women who was my same age, and we just really clicked. I could imagine that at any other time, she would have been a good friend. And I thought, you know, by sheer fate, she was where she was and I was where I was. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I felt compelled to try and understand that better, that it is not always within our control to um, plan our destinies and that I wanted to be a part of that. And the second was that it was truly the proudest moment in my life to uh, help uh, take the individuals to the airport and watch them get on a plane to go get resettled to New Zealand. Mm. And I realized I needed to be somewhere in that space. And so that's really what has led me to refugee and immigrant work, to women's empowerment work, to serving vulnerable individuals. That's really inspirational. And um, obviously, you mentioned that you're CEO of your own company. And I'm just curious, obviously, you can't study entrepreneurship in a book for the most part. So what were the best resources that helped you along the way? Well, so um, the best resources really are just for me, um, connecting always with so many other people mm. that uh, I have always believed that if I'm thinking of something, someone else has already thought of it as well. Yeah. And so I want to go find out about that. So if I'm trying to figure out a, a way to use a new database, I think, all right, somebody else has already been trying to figure this out. So let's go find out what are the best databases that people who are running nonprofits like. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk to the nonprofits as well as talk to the database companies. So I think that it is about just being aware that that we all have such information and sometimes we silo ourselves and think that we're reinventing things and we really don't need to. Mm, for sure. And um, in a similar vein, you obviously learned that lesson through uh, working and that experience that you had. But were there any other lessons that you wish you would have known before starting in your industry? Um, I think that that it is constantly about learning to listen. Mm. And I think that sometimes we can just get ahead of ourselves. Um, I know in my own career and life, I have uh, definitely had my periods of time where I got too ahead of myself mm -hmm. and where I just was not fully listening. Um, I think that, you know, if you're a creative person and generally people that are going to be following a path that I followed are people who love to come up with aspirational ideas and visions and creativity, you, you get sort of in love with your own ideas and you forget to really, really listen to everybody else that's in the room, to everybody else that you're trying to serve, to the community members who see the people that you're trying to serve. So if I could listen way more than I do, 
that would be a good thing. Thank you for that. And um, thinking across the span of your career, actually, I'm just curious, what was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Um, I think my biggest failures generally have been around boundaries. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I am somebody who believes in embracing failure. Mm -hmm. So I love mistakes. And I can tell you, I've made a bunch of mistakes and I just don't really consider many of them failures. Yeah. Um, But uh, I do think that early on in my career, I was, a, um, as I still am, very idealistic and uh, wanted to work for areas that I was passionate about, which literally means there are times I can remember having a baby strapped to my chest wow. while working all weekend long with a group of young women who had been trafficked into the state that I was in, and I was trying to you know, take them shopping for some clothes and get them some food and get them settled. Meanwhile, the baby is on my chest the entire time. Um, And, uh, you know, do I regret it? No. Um, Did I eventually learn that you get exhausted after a while? Yes. Um, So I think that all of those wonderful mistakes that I would not want to have done differently did teach me that over time, if I really wanted to last, I needed to be able to stop and have boundaries, recognize when work was work mm-hmm. and uh, when to when to let go. Yeah. And that's truly inspirational that you still do the work you're doing with the baby strapped to your chest. So <laughs> I'm sure that was an interesting sight to behold. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. And um Following on from that, you've been given great pieces of advice throughout this call, but what is one piece of advice you would give to somebody who is wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Um, I think be humble and volunteer. So, you know, it, it really is about being all in. If you want to be in nonprofit, first of all, to recognize that Part of being a nonprofit is working with individuals who are in vulnerable spaces. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make them know less. In fact, they often know more. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that even though the job can be to help people that, for whatever reason, are identified as needing help, that um, there still needs to be a humbleness. Just because I am a case manager or I am a manager or I am now CEO does not mean I know best how to get this person out of poverty. Mm. This means that I've sat with a lot of people in poverty. And maybe this person is the person that has something to teach me that's different or their situation is different and I really need to pay attention. So I think that we can get a little bit too sure of ourselves, staying humble. Mm. Um, I think keeping that volunteer spirit that no matter what we do, um, helping somebody else, not for any money, just broadens us and allows us to stay available to what else excites us and what else can um, inspire us. And being all in, if you're in nonprofit work and you think that you're doing it for the salary, 
you're in the wrong line of business. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. And sort of following on from that, I feel like that would be one of the common myths. But what is one common myth that you've sort of seen in your lifetime that you would like to debunk about your profession? I think the, the biggest myth I would like to debunk is that the individuals we serve will always be grateful. And that's so I see that staff and the community members that are circling around nonprofits and are a huge part of the support of nonprofits somehow have this assumption that if we're providing a service that for the individual that's being served is free, mm. um, that somehow they're going to be grateful. And that isn't always true that individuals who are survivors, uh, they have a resiliency. And part of that resiliency is maintaining a sense of pride, of independence. Um, and that can look a little scrappy. Um, and so uh, people aren't always just immediately appreciative and grateful, which doesn't mean the help isn't very needed. Yeah. That's great. And um, I feel like, yeah, that's a very common myth. I would always would have thought that everybody would have been grateful. But I think these people you're working with have been through a lot. So it's just important to understand it from their point of view. Yeah, yeah, they 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 um, both they may appreciate the help, but they also may feel that the help was warranted, should have been given a long time ago, for example. so yeah very important to be mindful of that and um, obviously I'm sure you're very busy as CEO of your own company which is so cool but what have you read or listened to recently that's really inspired you well I think I think I've read two things over the past year and a half Um, one of them is a newer book than the other but um, by Anand Girahardas is Winner Take All Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible book about how the for-profit sector has been stepping in to be the safety net and really takes takes that to task. Is that the right place? Where has government possibly stepped away from its duty as a safety net? And why have we all decided that the for-profit companies are the ones that should be the ones stepping in? Mm-hmm. And in what way can that really bias and slant the support that's happening for nonprofits. Um, So that's been an amazing book for me and quite eye-opening. And then another one I read just recently is by um, Maria Konnikova called The Biggest Bluff. And it's about about poker. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. So, um, but she is a psychologist, a social psychologist. um, And that is my background as a clinical psychologist. And, uh, and she decides that she is going to learn how to be a decent poker player. And the beauty of the book to me was in understanding um, flexibility of thought mm-hmm. and why and how we take risks, how we sort things out, how we make decisions, how we make a decision and then stand by it or let go of it. When do we decide to do which? Um, so, because I think nonprofit world and, you know, in, in any business right now with COVID, with the various different government administrations, with, with all of the different things that everybody's been dealing with, even as we look at the issues of systemic racism, it it is necessary for us to pivot, to be flexible, to take in new information and to help that mold us. And so this book is about, um, you know, 
you can be given a bad hand, but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to lose. It depends on how you play it. Mm, for sure. I'm not a big poker player myself, but it seems like definitely a good read. Obviously, the whole um, chance and the risks, it can apply to sort of any career or any situation in your life, I guess. Absolutely. Yes. That's great. And um, you kind of touched on this a little earlier, but I'm curious, who are three people in your life who have been the most influential for you? Well, so I, I, I'm i going to cheat. Um, <laughs> as probably many people do in this kind of a question. So, I, you know, I have a, a, a psychologist that I learned about a long time ago, Harry Stack Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And not as famous a psychologist, but really came out of sort of the early work of psychology and before it really moved into true what we would call humanist psychology. Yeah. But he really understood that the person is affected by and is an interplay with the environment. Mm-hmm. That you can't look at just personality without the context and you can't look at just environment without the person. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love his work and it was one of the first uh, uh psychologist that really made me take a look at that broader picture. Mm-hmm. Um, my newer version of that is Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown. And uh, everybody knows that name. So I figure I should throw that in. because yeah. She's talking about the, the person being vulnerable within the context um, and about communication. And I think we all need that these days is true and open communication. Uh, how can we really, really communicate and not be afraid of stepping on someone's toes, but honestly be able to to uh, recognize that and to to have discourse? Mm. Um, and then the third would be an, a lumping of my family. Yeah. I, I have uh, three great people in my family in terms of like just, you know, uh, single points of how they affected me. My mother taught me uh, to be a really strong woman to have ambition and drive um, and to to go for my dreams, to, to really believe in them. Um, my father, on the other hand, taught me loyalty, compassion, and love of family. And I am very, very lucky to have um, siblings. My, my one brother is somebody who is always in my court and knows all my warts. And I think you have to have that, somebody that just, He's the worst of you and loves you anyway. Oh, that's so lovely. And um, finally, to wrap up our conversation, what is one piece of advice that you wish you gave yourself at any point in your life? Um, so I feel like I just am not somebody who has a lot of regrets. But I think the one thing that I will um, say to myself is just always staying curious. That, again, we really can, we love to fall into routine, don't we? Mm. We all just like to like have things be comfortable and familiar. And and then we assume that our way is everybody's way. So if I could just constantly push myself to stay curious, uh, stay open. Awesome. So thank you so much, Dr. Ferguson, for speaking with me today. It was truly such an engaging conversation. And thank you again for sharing all of your wisdom with me and the rest of the audience. Thank you. Thanks so much, Leila. And thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Bye-bye.